1: Welcome to another installment of Nightlight Part 2. We have a follow-up to last week's uh, retrospective of Kathleen Martin's career and a continuation of many other uh, UFO-themed shows. Over the last uh, couple of years, uh, more authors have been writing about... uh, Spiritual issues based on their rereadings of the Bible. Uh, many of their books are uh, new looks at mysterious passages or scenes, characters uh, in the Old and New Testament. Uh, you know, is New Jerusalem a craft in the process of landing? Who are the people under the earth in Revelation 4? Uh, are they still there? Um, how was the author of Isaiah presaging NASA photos and made Columbus's flat Earth theory look ridiculous? And um, you know, the Bible even has scenes of the zombie apocalypse that are as creepy as the locally Flint filmed Night of the Living Dead and you know the TV show uh Walking Dead. So um we have a lot of fun with this topic uh tonight and you know learn a lot as well. Uh Ken Godsword is our guest tonight. He's the author of UFOs in the Bible and Magic in the Bible. He is also a publisher and you can visit his website by going to DimensionFold.com and he is bringing a perspective from British Columbia. Hi Ken how are you?
2: Hey, hey Mark it's good to be here I'm doing well thank you
1: good and uh, oh, uh, 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 and how uh, I just uh, just realized um, uh, how do people watch your podcast
2: Oh yeah. Um just go to dimensionfold.com and um there's a link right on the front page there to my YouTube channel. Um I'm currently in the process of getting that uh getting those episodes converted into a podcast format as well. Uh but currently um it's not quite ready, but it'll it'll be on the same place. Everything's okay. linked from there. Okay.
1: Cool. Um Yeah, I'm I'm sorry, just uh realize we forgot to write that in the uh in- intro um but i um uh, I truly enjoyed your e- UFOs in the Bible you know, like I said so many of our listeners really enjoy that topic we've had great guests you know just bringing all their different uh, views on the subject it it really is a captivating uh a topic um yeah you know, i think you bring something a little different by you know starting off by including uh dr Hynek's uh scale of ufo experiences and you applied them to the bot... Bi- uh, many uh, of the scenes in the bible so um let's get get into maybe uh, what the uh, there are four four kinds uh let's define those and you know, look at uh, sure. some some of the passages in the old and New testament that uh, best exemplify um how this this books you know, starting story to be written what 3500 years or so ago is pretty accurate with what's been re- just recently reported
2: it's actually remarkably similar to the to today's current um UFO sightings that are being recorded and reported every day um you know even with you would think that with today's technology we would be able to prove this once and for all uh, but it remains difficult to get um really good uh video evidence or you know even photographs are are hard to come by i'm i'm lurking on uh, a lot of um ufo um, facebook pages and whatnot where people are sharing a lot of uh, a lot of their experiences and and uh their photos, and um it's still really uh really difficult to say with any certainty, hey, this is incontrovertible evidence right here uh, there's there's some that are pretty good um but what is interesting is that the when when people do report um having a close encounter uh so that's the that's the real difference is that a lot of a lot of the sightings or the the, uh, hey, I saw something weird, or, you know, kind of those kinds of stories. Um, A lot of the times it's really, uh, uh, it seems to be a light in the sky and without a lot of definition or, um, Uh you know, it might be too far away to to, to tell how big it is or anything like that. Um, But there is a a much smaller percentage of UFO uh, witnesses who have what we call a close encounter. And so that is where it is something a lot closer and larger and more well-defined in terms of um, being able to uh, to get a good physical description of a craft and its movement and its, its size and its dimensions and its shape. Um, and not only that, but also its occupants in some cases. Uh-huh. Um, And that exact scenario has been playing out for thousands of years uh, because we can trace it um, certainly back to the time of Moses and the Exodus um, and with a little, a a little bit, um, maybe a little bit weaker evidence um, farther back to uh, the time of Abraham. So, uh, that puts us back to around, um, 17, 1800 BC, um, or possibly earlier as we don't really know. Um, we don't have a, a super solid, uh, timeline in, in terms of the biblical events, assuming they were historical, uh, which I, I will, I will give them credit for that for at least for most of these things. Um, but yeah, when we have, um, when we have these close encounters uh alan j hynek developed the scale um which is now called the the hynek scale and he at the time when he did that he was working for the u.s government um specifically the uh, u.s army and um they hired him to uh well ostensibly to investigate, but um really to debunk uh, most of the the stories that people were were telling about their experiences um so even though even though um Hynek himself was uh somewhat of a skeptic at first when he began this job, um which is probably what helped him get the job in the first place. Uh, but he didn't remain a skeptic for long because the evidence that he was, uh, hearing about and, um, frankly seeing because they, uh, they had uh, photographs and things like that and, and actually actual physical evidence that they were sometimes able to obtain. And, um, so he became convinced that, uh, that UFOs are real firstly, and that, um, the uh, the excuses that he was told to give uh, didn't add up. And yet he was in many cases um, compelled to, to lie about what he had seen and uh, make up these sto- uh, basically explanations saying, uh it was, you know, a, a weather balloon or swamp gas or some of the cover stories are absolutely ridiculous. Um, but in any case, um, <laughs> uh Heineck basically because he was he came from a scientific background and um so rather than just writing a whole bunch of pages of notes he began to categorize them um and so the first way that he uh determined to break them down would be um essentially if it wasn't a close encounter he wasn't interested because there really wasn't enough he can't do anything with that that kind of data. Um, so the reports that he were, began to gather were all close encounters, which by his definition is that the craft is within 500 feet of the witness. Um, so uh, as you can imagine, um, from that distance, you can usually get a pretty good look at something. Um, so what what he began to do was um, the, the first, so he made four kinds, he just called them kinds. Um, those are his categories. And the first kind is, uh, basically there's a physical object here and, um, it, it's, it's generally flying or sometimes in some cases there were, uh, they were coming out of the ocean or, coming uh, basically aquatic, um, but some kind of unknown craft, um. And the second kind, so each of these different kinds is sort of like builds on, on each of the previous ones. So the second kind is um, where there's some kind of craft, uh, but the, the difference here is that there is physical evidence left behind. Um, and so it could be a case where a craft came and landed and singed the grass or, you know, cut off tree branches or something like that. Um, uh-huh. So that's his second kind, and th- that also includes um, incidents where uh, there were strange, um, strange f- physical evidence, uh, yet the the actual craft itself was not seen. Um, so that would be your crop circles and things like that. Um, even though we don't know for sure if crop crop circles have anything to do with UFOs. Uh, there seems to be possibly a correlation and if it is then that would fall under the second kind uh, because we're looking primarily at the physical evidence. Um, the third kind is where uh, there is a craft uh, witnessed and aboard the craft or associated with the craft in some way either coming in or going out or or seeing alongside is some kind of uh, living entity. Um, and generally these tend to be some kind of humanoid, um, aliens. So ETs uh, and, um, and then the fourth kind is, um, where there is, um, either communication or physical contact, uh, between the alien and the witness. So that includes your alien abductions. and uh, basically, if a, if a craft comes down and you hear a loud voice speaking in your head, that would be a fourth kind. Um, so I've decided to use the same criteria in terms of categorizing the biblical uh, accounts. Um, and uh-huh. one of the reasons I wanted to do that was because... Um, When you start out, if like, I didn't want to jump into the deep, into the deep end head first, right? So I kind of wanted to, um, when I was writing the book, I was not convinced at all either way. um, And it was really an investigation on my part um, to see if uh, any of these claims had any merit whatsoever, because I had heard people like uh, Von Daniken and, and other authors who were basically saying, yeah, there's UFOs in the Bible. And I'm like, well, is there really? Because, I mean, I've I've been going to church for a long time, and I've never heard that. So,
1: yeah, I've had, um, I've had people question, uh, where would you read that?
2: Okay, yes, I'll go to exactly. this passage. And that's a really great question that I want to come back to, um, because that is kind of really, um, in some ways, the critical question is, um, if this is in the Bible, why aren't, why don't we see it in there? And there are several it's a complex question uh with, with several layers going on there. So I do want to come back to that. Um okay. but um okay, so in terms of these um the uh these types or kinds, the um the first kind uh is you know, it's it's interesting, it's weird, it's like, hey, what is that? Um but I think that there's a, still a little bit of uh, flexibility and leeway in our mental capacity to go. Okay, well, I mean that was weird, but whatever, right? So, to me, it seemed like a little bit of a safer place to start. Um, and so, I, I actually start with uh, with with one, with a, an encounter that's not even a close encounter. Um, it's far greater than 500 feet away. And uh, so that's one of the more famous examples in the Bible that because we actually hear about this one every year um, in the wintertime, very close to uh, winter solstice. And that, of course, is the story of the three wise men and the star of Bethlehem. Um, And it's been pointed out by by numerous people that uh, the star of Bethlehem is very strange um it it's not a star and it's not a comet uh, and these are based on um descriptions right in the book of Matthew about how it moved and how it moved for a while and then stopped and then uh-huh. continued and and basically it's uh it has a very very strange uh movement pattern that can't be explained by any kind of natural phenomenon um but right. Again, it never really gets close enough to get a good description. So it is essentially a speck of light, which is uh, identical to a star in many ways.
1: But it's uh procession across the sky does not follow any astrophysics yeah uh, oh if yeah if it uh, was a, comet, yeah, a m- range of motion
2: yeah that's right um if it was a comet or an asteroid or even a planet or uh, or anything like that um it would it would have a straight streak across the sky, i mean it might look curved uh because of the the curvature of of where of our viewing platform um but
1: the, it doesn't stop directly over stop the main
2: Right. Yeah. It's not going to stop and start, and it certainly isn't going to stop and then somehow pinpoint a specific house in a specific town in the city of Bethlehem. That is not something that a meteor can ever do, unless it lands on it. Uh, but yeah. the Bible does not speak about it in those kind of terms. Um, it never mentions the thing coming down um, although it does mention the, uh, what they call, uh, angels in the book of Luke, uh, where the, suddenly there's a, a mighty host appearing to the shepherds. Um, so there's some, there are some other strange things around that encounter that just don't add up to it, to it being any kind of a comet or an asteroid. Um. But yet, it's also not a close encounter.
1: Yeah, it 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 um, might be jumping a little too far ahead of myself, but it the star Bethlehem leads them to their destination as if it could read their minds or something like that. It it, it seemed like they're, they're going to the same place.
2: Yeah it it seems to um that that's interesting that you brought that up I hadn't really thought of it like that but you're right because um essentially in terms of the the narrative in uh, in Matthew the wise men are following the star and then um at at some point they seem to kind of lose track of it somehow because they go and they are stopping and asking for directions essentially and asking um, you know, where is this child who will be the king of Israel? And so as they're doing that, the star somehow, you know, somehow miraculously waits for them, uh, which uh, uh-huh. asteroids don't do. And then right. uh, when they're ready to continue, it continues to lead them on and brings them to Bethlehem. So it is very strange.
1: Okay, I- you know, uh, later on, you know, we'll get into different types of crafts, but that—that uh, 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 that is a so fascinating. should I move
2: on to type two? So, okay, so oh, yeah, you,
1: uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Let's do two. Uh, number two.
2: Okay, so the second kind is the physical evidence. Um, so, a couple of outstanding cases on on this particular one. Um, the uh the story of Jacob um and he actually has several uh UFO encounters um uh, kind of on the heels of each other in fact um the first time he sees a UFO he actually see he this is actually a third kind encounter um but I I sort of deal with it in the in the second part of the book because uh, because of the physical aspects of it, um, his his first encounter is he sees a multitude, or he calls it an army of what um, in in most Bible translations uh, they ca- they call it an army of angels. But it's important to remember that anytime you see the word angel in the Old Testament, that is a mistranslation. Uh, the Hebrew language does not contain a word for angel. So what, what they do have is they have words that describe a person's job. So many times they use the word me, uh, messenger, uh, which is, um, uh, man, is it Manaheim? Yeah. Uh, I can't remember the, the Hebrew out, off the top of my head. Um, um but anyway, uh, it's something like that. Um, so the um basically the the this army of um what we we're not really sure what they are ad, in the narr- in the narrative because um Jacob doesn't know what they are but he sees a bunch of strange people but they they are different is the only thing that he is really struck by and he um he he basically is uh, very um he's very affected by this encounter so much so that he stops and he sends his, his family on ahead and he says look i'm going to stay here um now that may be because he wanted to keep his family safe that might be part of the issue um but uh I, there was more going on here so he stays behind and he um he sees this whole army and he ends up set it, setting up sort of a um an altar i suppose is what they generally call it but uh basically um he he does a spiritual ritual uh after seeing this army of strange beings and um so they're obviously not just um you know the hittites or the amalekites or something somebody like that they're they're not just another bunch of people um they are r- remarkable enough that he he decides to do uh he makes it into a religious issue uh right i suppose so um, and then uh, a couple of days later he um he sees another thing that's even stranger and this time uh, he sees the same this these same people uh but this time he seems he describes it as there being up on top of a ladder or a set of stairs, um, and so this story is uh, generally known as Jacob's ladder. Um, but again, we have some translation problems here, which I dig into uh, in quite uh, quite amount of detail in the book. Um, to basically say that um, if you if you begin to read the, the Bible in in the Hebrew, and which is, of course, difficult to do because uh, most of us are not uh, fluent in Hebrew. But um, honestly, the with the with the toolset that we have um, of the Bible and the interlinear Bibles, uh, there are several uh, of them available online. Even um, Bible Hub has a good one, and um, and with the Strong's Concordance. Uh, which basically is a huge da- um, database of every single word in the entire Bible, um, and it's it's easy to cross-reference things. So that's that's kind of what I started doing. And I is I was I I began to read the text and um, question whether the some of the translations were really made sense. And so what I would do is I would. I would take a Hebrew word that I didn't know, and then I would jump over to the interlinear and uh, click into the concordance mm-hmm. and look at, okay, well, this use, this word's used a hundred times. Okay, um, what does it mean? It's easy to get a sense of that because it, they list all the verses that where it appears and the translation for each of those verses. Um, and so often you have these very strange results where it means a certain thing 99 times and then one time the translators have given it an entirely different meaning and they i started coming across so many of these types of words um and they're always popping out uh in these stories which i cover in in the ufos in the bible book all of these stories have um like one or several of these words that are mi- badly mistranslated and um uh, sometimes in very nonsensical ways um so one um one stunning example of that is the uh the example of Moses in the burning bush so this is uh-huh. the first time that Moses encounters something strange. Um, and he is minding his own business in the desert when all of a sudden he sees something weird. Well, we all think, oh, well, it's not that weird. We know what it is. It's a bush that's on fire. Yeah, but it's not. And if you go and read the story of Moses in the burning bush, uh, which is in Exodus three, um, there is, uh, there is no indication in the Hebrew Um, Of a bush anywhere in this story there are no bushes in this story Um, Now there is fire And so what we do have in in this story is that Moses sees an object uh, that is burning And so he goes to check it out he's like well what what's happening what is that And when he gets there there is um, Some kind of being inside uh, or associated with and which uh-huh. is able to speak to him somehow So either it knows Hebrew and is just speaking his language verbally uh, Or it might be using a telepathic power uh, We're not sure the way the Bible story reads It kind of sounds like telepathy um, uh, I'm not going to die on that cross as if you will um, but it may or may not be, but in any case, it's a strange story because if nothing else, it's a very, very clear example, uh, because if you if you go into Exodus 3 in the interlinear Bible and click on the word hathana, which is uh, the word that we are translating as bush, um, you will see that word pops up, and it says, oh, this is the only place in the Bible where this word appears. Okay. Well, I guess maybe they're maybe they're right. How do we know? Well, they're not right and here's how we know. You the Bible does not only talk about a bush once. There's bushes mentioned in the Bible dozens of times. And yeah, there's every a time lot of
1: vegetation.
2: Yeah. There's trees, there's bushes, there's many of them are listed by a different name. Uh you've got myrtlewood. you've got pines, you've got uh-huh. cedars, yeah, a bunch of different flowers. There's tons of uh, the botany in the Bible and uh-huh. the, the fact that none of the references in the Bible to anything resembling a bush are the word hasana says to me, the hasana is not a bush. Um, well, on top so. of that, the um, there is uh, there are some metallic seeming kind of descriptions in there. Um, so, Let's just put that uh, in, kind of put a pin in that. And then as we come to some of the other examples, the, the, the there isn't really a, a single verse in the Bible that you can read and go, oh yeah, see, that's totally a UFO. Um, because this is the problem. The Bible is not supposed to be read verse by verse. Like, this is what we're so accustomed to is picking out a single verse and expecting some, some grand notion to, to speak to us. No, would you do that with any book? Like pick up the nearest book to you and read a verse. What, what kind of deep meaning can you get out of that? No, you've got to read the chapter um, at the very least. Uh, and it helps to know how it fits in with the general narration so you really need to know the whole story and you need to kind of start at the beginning and when we be if you if we can begin to do that with the bible and a strip away all the mistranslation and the misdirection um the bible reads completely differently from what we think it says um so yeah i did want to say that the second second uh second type second kind um the reason that Jacob is a second kind encounter is because he actually had a physical wrestling match uh with this being who came out of uh, one of the cra- uh, came out of a craft. Um the craft yeah. was said to descend from the sky and uh, a being came out of it and and fought with him. Um so I never could figure out why an angel would do that. Um and the yeah, answer awesome. is an angel it's a very odd story uh but the fact is it's an et and this is a first encounter um first contact situation of course there's fear involved um and if the alien was saying we come in peace um well the we probably aren't speaking the same language so there's a very good chance that jacob uh, misunderstood the the intent of the the extraterrestrial that was facing him, and that's how they ended up getting into a wrestling match um, but I mean, I'm reading a little bit into it in that in this when I say these kinds of statements, but the fact is um he if if you go and read the description of what he saw and how he describes it, and then you think to yourself, could that?" Does that kind of sound like a flying spaceship? You, you, usually in all of these stories, it does. Um, so there's, I won't go through the, the like every encounter by encounter because there's actually uh, 45 separate encounters um, with various of the biblical heroes. Almost every single biblical hero that you can think of has had a UFO encounter. Um, there were 113 separate uh, people who are UFO witnesses are named in the, oh, sorry, I shouldn't say they're named. 75 of them uh, were not named by name, but there was a group of 75 elders. So we're talking about the entire Congress of the the House of Israel. Um, And they not only saw a spaceship, uh, but they were actually taken aboard a spaceship And they had dinner with the extraterrestrials on board their spaceship. That is in the Bible. And I have never heard a sermon about that, Uh, but it's right in there. And I'm going to tell you, because I know some of the listeners are going to want to check that out for themselves. Um, That is in Exodus, um, uh, Exodus 24. So you've got, which is another interesting point, because um, we're always we've always been taught that no man can see the face of God and live um, and and that does seem to be the case at in the early chapters of exodus um, the The aliens are taking great pains to tell um, to tell uh, Moses to stay back and only he can approach and uh, various safety measures. Um, but it doesn't last very long. Um, and I'm I don't know if that is because they came up with better safety protocols or they found some equipment or I don't know what's going on. Um, but uh in Exodus twenty four, seventy five elders of Israel plus Moses, plus Aaron, plus um a couple other guys. So there was probably closer to eighty eighty people up there. Um
1: Abbahu Abba and, who and- Ne- yeah,
2: Neb- Abihu, then- Nadab, Nadab and Abihu, yeah, Nadab. and uh Yeah. Um so and, and in Exodus twenty four it literally says that they uh they went up and they had a feast with with what they what we interpreted as God, but even now it's not the Hebrew doesn't say God, it says with the Elohim. So the Elohim is yeah. sort of a big um Very important uh, point, because that is um, many times when we think we're reading a story about God, we're not. We're reading a story about the Elohim. And the Elohim is a plural, and the, the, the em ending is always plural, and the em ending generally means that it is a living, intelligent being a group of living intelligent beings. So the 75 elders went up and had dinner with the Elohim uh, and it seemed to be aboard their spacecraft. And so that is, uh, I go into detail about that Uh, um, and uh, just a whole bunch of other things. So um, I don't know. I feel like I'm kind of going on and on. Maybe I'll let you get a question
1: in. Um, See, I was, whole bunch of questions um if the oh, oh you said army uh, like the jacobs ladder um, yeah. it, you have all these people going up and down uh the ladders uh it, that's like one of those examples where is the craft actually described Is or are, are they going into something? It just seems like they're going up ladders, but it seems like a tractor beam. the be ladder. Yeah. Where's it end?
2: Yeah. So um, let me see. I, I just pulled up the book. Let me see if I can give you a very um, specific example, but let's see here. Um, essentially, um, it it definitely sounds like a ship of some kind, um, but we are still lacking a little bit of detail. He, he, he does not um, – Jacob doesn't give us, like, as many details as we do get when it comes to Moses, Isaiah, and Ezekiel. Now, those guys are giving us some really solid, meaty details – where they're talking right. about me- metal, they're talking about shapes, they're talking about movement. They seem to be talking about um flashing lights, um maybe with some kind of like encoded uh, uh lighting system um with with Jenkins we're not given quite that much uh detail. Um but it is it is very interesting because um so it, it says seems here like they're
1: that, going. Uh, it, it almost seems like they're going into the cargo hold of. Yeah, you know, a cloud or craft. Uh, what are they doing? It, it just seems really odd.
2: It is. It's very weird. And and if they were angels, then why would why are they doing that? There's no reason given. So, um, but when you consider the previous encounter where there was that whole army there um maybe they're just simply disembarking it's quite it makes more sense that there was an army of aliens that were uh that were, had camped out there um maybe i don't know it it is a little bit weird how how he notices they're there it almost sounds like suddenly their cloaking stopped working and he saw this whole army um because it it doesn't really it's not like, hey, oh look, way over there, there's there's an army. Oh, then they get closer and they notice it's weird. No, it's like all of a sudden there's this weird army. So it's like it's a strange description, um, but it, it would make sense to uh, to interpolate that there were uh, there was some kind of extraterrestrial work party, or work camp, or something. They don't seem to be an army per se because they. They don't attack, um, Jacob, although he does have a wrestling match with one. So, you know, you could still make that point either way. Um, but then, uh, they, they get the call to, to disembark and the ship comes and, uh, they're loading up on what appears to be a tractor beam. Uh, it could also be a loading ramp, but it's whatever it is, they're definitely going into something that's already in the sky. Um, and then they're gone after that. So I don't really know how else to interpret that.
1: Um, yeah, and, and oh, very good.
2: Well, so I let let's talk about Ezekiel and um Isaiah for a second. So sure. Ezekiel is probably the most common um the, the most commonly referenced UFO encounter in the Bible. Um, and so a lot of people right. talk about it and basically just go, oh, yeah, that's really weird. Uh, and it is super weird. Um, there's this thing about wheels within wheels. Uh, there's these four creatures that are that are surrounded with eyes or they have eyes all over their bodies or and they have six wings. Like the whole thing is super bizarre. Um, and there's actually some really funny YouTube uh, videos about. um like how like, like what that bat actually looks like um and so like with some uh interesting animated or you know paintings or whatever as to uh, what these creatures would look like and they certainly don't look angelic uh like in terms of heavenly beings they look if anything they look like some kind of uh insane demon like they're they're weird looking um so the 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 weird part about it though is like if you just read uh ezekiel's comment commentary or ezekiel's story he's telling us what he saw and if you just read it in our normal bible it it really makes no sense like and people have been struggling with it for 2000 years well for more than that probably um Cause this, this goes back to, uh, about 600 BC. So, um, I don't know if the, I don't know if Ezekiel, well, Ezekiel didn't know what he was looking at when he, when he wrote it. Um, but he had, uh, several encounters. And as you, as you begin to read, to read about his later encounters, they actually start to make a little bit more sense not to us because we're still reading it in in this uh language of angels and with these spiritual context um but it is making more sense to ezekiel himself and you can tell because in his first encounter all he can really say is whoa this is this crazy like look and he just sort of describes uh but by the by his third or fourth encounter he's he's kind of moved on and he's like actually using um some uh he's actually equating some of these strange things that he previously described and he's now using different words for them and these are words that in his time were part of their religious culture um and the lingo around that so he didn't realize it at the time because he lived in Babylon, and you have to recall also that the Hebrews uh, were not allowed to do any kind of graphic arts. So under the Mosaic law, um, the, third, the second commandment uh, is that you're not allowed to uh, make paintings or sculptures or any kind of visual design, which is a super weird law. Uh, but it, so I'm not going to get into the, the motivation for that. Um, I kind of still pure speculation at this point, but I am kind of looking into a little bit around that. Um, but if you consider that, that's just the way it is. And it's, it was like that for, since the time of Moses to the time of, um, of Ezekiel during the Babylonian captivity, which is about 700 years later. Um, so this religion has become very established at this point. And um, oddly, they um, when they built the temple in Jerusalem, uh, what did they do? They actually created what appears to be, at least in the standard um, reading of the Bible, is that uh in, in when Solomon built the temple he created all these sculptures and this beautiful tapestries with designs on them and all these intricate pictures uh-huh. and um among these are what what they, what were called cherub the cherubim which there's that em suffix again so it's a plural and it's a intelligent being um but it's so so there's already this sort of this um concept beginning to develop it's it's still nothing like our uh, modern um concept of what an angel what we think an angel is um but it's starting to go along that that road so um keep in mind that the cherub the the cherub is also part of the ark of the covenant which was um basically the blueprint for the Ark of the Covenant was given to Moses um, at Mount Sinai right after they had that big dinner with the with the 75 leaders and the extraterrestrials on the spaceship um, so Moses comes away with that uh, with these these plans for um, a, a whole bunch of stuff that Yahweh tells them to build now in this so, so, here's another character. Yahweh is a very important character, and we think of Yahweh as God, which is I'm not saying is wrong, um but it's maybe a little bit of a different flavor of of what we think God is today um, but it's important to notice that Moses had two completely separate things happening: he was having dinner with the Elohim and he received information from Yahweh. Yahweh is separate from the Elohim. There is, we equate them, but they're not. That's totally wrong. Um, Yahweh is not the Elohim, although it's possible that Yahweh is one of the Elohim, and I think there's actually a lot of evidence for that. Um, uh, But to say, to say that the Elohim equals Yahweh is is the exactly the same as saying people equals Mark Eddy. No, I mean, Mark is one person. So right. I'm not going to give you credit for all my work. Sorry, Mark, <laughs> but we tend to do that. We give <laughs> Yahweh credit for all the work of the Elohim. Now, that's, uh, that's a topic for another podcast another day, um, but... Yeah, we'll able yeah, we'll, we'll,
1: well we'll do that one yeah. someday.
2: Um but anyway, so I was getting to this uh tying in this whole cherubim thing with Ezekiel. So as it's an overgeneralization.
1: Eze-
2: well, so this is get, where it gets really strange is because you at first um Ezekiel sees some weird shit going down And there's lights in the sky and there's metal objects floating around and there's smoke, there's fire and there's these strange intelligences and they seem to be speaking to him. And then later on, um, he, as, as he is, you know, he's, he's had some time to think about what's going on and he's had a couple more encounters in between. So, uh, later on in the book, And I believe it's chapter 11 of of the book of Ezekiel. He now has an actual abduction experience and the the spaceship lifts him up again. And it sounds very much like a tractor beam. Um, It says that the top of his hair, like what it literally says is a hand grabbed him by the top of the head, which the the hand of of Yahweh, or I believe, hmm, was it the Elohim? That's a good question. Was it the hand of the Elohim or the hand of Yahweh that something grabbed him and forcibly pulled him up into the sky by the head? So it's not like he's standing on a platform and and lifting him up. He's he's getting sucked up uh, like a tractor right. beam, and he suddenly finds himself in Isaiah uh, in um, in uh, Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem is hundreds of miles away from Babylon where he was a second ago. So how did, how did the, how does this work? Does he, did they have teleportation um, or was it like the same type of um, navigational type of abilities that we see in uh, some of these uh, new videos that the Pentagon has released lately, uh, like the Tic Tac or, you know, these these other videos where these objects appear to or, just have phenomenal speed. Um, or,
1: or, or almost like Star Trek technology you know, with the mm-hmm. you know, beat me up Scotty thing.
2: O- almost, but it doesn't exactly sound like he doesn't talk about, um, like it's weird that it's it's got this part about being lifted up. Whereas if it was a beaming or even just a normal teleportation, um, you, you, there's no point in lifting somebody up before you teleport them. Just teleport them from where they are. Um, so there's something strange happening there. But my, what I was trying to get at was now um, Ezekiel is in uh, in Jerusalem, in the temple, and not not only in the temple, but he is he is told by, again, we can't tell if this is a a telepathic voice or if someone is is speaking from the craft or what's happening. Um, But he is told to walk through the temple. Uh, He's told how, you know, kind of given navigational instructions and he is told to walk right into the very Holy of Holies, which is where the Ark of the Covenant lives. And In that uh, Holy space where no one is allowed to go and no photography is allowed and no one has ever drawn a picture of it of the Ark of the Covenant because they're not allowed Um, Then once he sees that his language around the description of the flying craft suddenly changes now he is he begins to use this the terminology of the cherubim and equating that to uh the the flying craft so now he says the cherubim lifted up, and the sound of the cherubim's wings was like thunder and there was he talks about fire and he talks about um somebody taking hot coals and and it sounds like they're either putting fuel rods in or like stoking a fire or something like it's there's this much more of a machine like quality to his, um, to the description of, of this encounter. Um, even though there are other, other certain elements of it, which, which are consistent. So he's now still talking about four creatures with, with four eyes and six wings. Um, but he talks about them in a different way that makes you, um makes us really question because now he knows what a cherubim is uh because he saw the cherubim uh, that was part of the ark of the covenant um so that to me is a huge clue um and so i i go into a fair bit of detail in terms of digging into what that might mean and how that how that kind of breaks down in terms of um in terms of Ezekiel's own experience. Um well, it, and then we see the a very similar thing happens with Isaiah. Um and I, I'm not gonna really go into detail about Isaiah right now, but um it's very, very a lot of parallels between Ezekiel and Isaiah.
1: Well it, in the opening of uh the book of Ezekiel, uh us you know, talk about uh uh, four faces, and each had four wings, and two covered up their bodies. Uh, you know, I wonder if they—that that kind of sounds like um, the insectoid types. And he, you just described that—you uh, know, the cherubim. Uh, you also get the ser- seraphim. Uh, mm-hmm. So so are are there a variety of different yeah races there does of seem EPs. To be, uh,
2: there does seem to be and um i i basically am barely scratching the surface of that question in this book um but that is that's a lot of the current research that i'm doing is um and there's it turns out that there's actually dozens of these um well they're intelligent people that are groups of intelligent people because they end in Eme, um, but they, they are sort of described in very strange ways. Um, and I'm, I'm digging into that in, in the book of Genesis and the book of Job, uh, which has a, a, a huge amount of uh, details on that. And so that'll be um, covered in my next book. Um, but. In terms of Ezekiel's descriptions, there are certainly several of them there, and um, yeah, that you mentioned the seraphim and the, the cherubim. The seraphim is a strange one because the word seraph uh, actually means snake, so it's pretty much on the surface in terms of what that what these things are. They're the snake people. Like you don't have to really do much interpretation there. It's literally in the words. So, um, and there's snake people who fly and they're described as having wings. So a snake with wings, uh, maybe it's a dragon. Um, and so what does that tell you? I don't know, but it opens up a lot of doors in terms of all these other, um, like possible ideas that, you know, many people talk about reptilians, um, well, and, yeah, and, like, and I Michael,
1: don't know. Yeah, and, and Michael's probably shown you uh, the different types of, you know, the Nordics and the Reptilians mm-hmm. that he encountered. You know, last yeah, week, on last week's show, uh, Kathleen uh, Barton was talking about uh, the difference um, um, uh, ETs that come Comprised of um, the uh, council of eight, who you know, was meeting with her and uh, her group. So
2: yeah, oh, so they it, actually met with them.
1: Uh, yeah, through um, know, like some kind of like hy- hypnosis type sessions, and okay. they were getting uh, messages, but. It, yeah you know, it seems like the bible is pretty accurate about there were different types of et species
2: yes and there are also different types of human species or or subspecies or intermixing um and that is explicitly described in genesis chapter 6 where they talk about the nephilim again em um and so these are said to be the um the product of interracial breeding between the sons of the Elohim and the daughters of the humans at that time and it's what's not clear in that at all is that um is the result of that is that who who we are, like are we the nephilim or are the Nephilim uh, another group of people who are no longer here or who possibly are still here, but are in hiding. Um, so there's a lot of questions around that and it's not clear. Um, now the, the Bible says that the Nephilim, uh, it doesn't It doesn't come out and say it, but it's, if you put two and two together in it from a couple of different um, kind of different uh, areas, the, it seems that the Nephilim are giants. Um, on the other hand, we are also giants if the people writing the story are a lot shorter than us. So it, it doesn't really mean that it's not us. Um, there's there's a lot of very interesting stuff to go into there, um, and, and particularly a lot of that involves the Book of Enoch, Um which I don't cover in this book because this book is very specifically about uh, a it's really just about the flying saucers um, and the encounters uh, I'm I'm not going into the alien races in this book uh, look for my next book for a bit of that. Um, and the other thing was that I wanted to keep the focus of this book uh, very strictly on the canonical agreed on canon Bible, Books Um, so I Don't look at any of the uh, Say the agnostic gospels Or the book of uh, the book of Enoch or um, Or any of these other uh, things Even though there is some really good Material in there um, and I'm I will be You know kind of bringing that into my uh, My future investigations
1: Okay well Let's see um, Yeah you were
2: You did mention Uh, the thing about the faces and wings. And I want to say something about that. um, But I I don't really know how much to say because honestly uh, in the book, I probably use 10 pages um, to talk about that stuff. And it's, it is um, fairly uh, sort of convoluted a, a little bit because it, it sort of has to tie in from a bunch of different aspects, but, But where I end up with it is that um, there is a concept in. So, okay, let's just do quickly three things. So um, in Ezekiel's uh, description, the word used here is uh, a Hebrew word, panim, which again, this word ends in Iim. So that implies that it is plural and intelligent. Now, in this book, I'm not going. I'm not. I'm kind of ignoring that the, that part of of this uh, because it's already complicated enough. Um, but I am, I'm I'm going to dig into this panim thing uh, later on. Um, so, but it's very interesting that this word panim is translated as faces, uh, but it also is sometimes translated as wings. And, um, and there's another word that's sort of similar where they're kind of both, um, where's what's this other word? Uh, canap is another one. And here's it again, canapayim, which ends in im. So you've got these panim and canapayim, which are, are, are the two, uh, words that are Really, um, sort of the, the critical pieces of this whole concept of uh, faces and wings, and they're really not clear at all. Um, and if you look at the, the way that those two words are used throughout the rest of the Bible, um, it's also not very clear. So, a lot of times you do uh, you do see that that they're somehow being used as um, you know, ed- edges or wings or or faces. But it's weird because why, what's with this I am ending? Like there's something strange going on that I haven't quite sorted out yet. Um, but one thing that I did come to is that sort of in between the idea of faces and wings is uh, more of a mathematical concept uh, where if you are looking at um, – for uh, for example, um, the, like a Cartesian solid, which is a, a mathematical concept um, for modeling geometrical shapes. Um, which is, if you if you are if you've ever seen the dice that you use when you play D and D, you've got the twenty sided dice and the four sided dice and all of these strange shapes. Um, these are uh, pure mathematical figures that um, mathematically the term is edge now we there's edges and vertices and i think that that's actually what's happening is that there's this is an attempt to describe the shape of the object um so i think that we're actually getting a little confused when we're talking about faces because we think uh, of it as a face like how you and i have a face um but it's actually like a face like how a pyramid has four faces. You know, it, it's talking about the the shape of the thing. Um, so, again, I can't prove that, uh, but there is certainly a lot of evidence for it. And it gets even stranger when you consider that for hundreds of years, there was a secret sect in Judaism called the Merkaba mysticism um, concept or what uh, I guess cult, I suppose, or whatever you would call them. Um okay. and basically their whole their whole thing was that they were really intrigued by by this, these uh these verses uh that are that we're investigating from Ezekiel and from Isaiah and from some of the work from the Psalms where uh King David writes a lot of songs about uh what he calls the cherubim, which is again another And and but they have this uh, boiled into this concept in this whole cult is the fact that these are some kind of machine that you can ride on. So they essentially call them a chariot uh, because, you know, if if we were talking about um, uh, some kind of transportation, uh, we're going to simplify it and call it a car. Or you know whatever that's all they're doing is by saying the chariots of the gods or they're saying the the chariot of Yahweh or the chariot of the Elohim, and this was a really big deal for them um, and there's a, a lot of their symbolism is um a a picture that you'll that you'll see actually if you uh if you go to my dimension fold website. Uh, because I'm using this as the sort of the logo um, for the YouTube channel. And it's this, uh, you'll see this yellow geometric shape that looks like two triangles on top of each other, and but it's three-dimensional. So what you have here is four faces that face each other. And that. so I, I go into quite a bit of detail in the book, which I won't try to... Um, I don't think it'll make sense if I try to talk about it, uh, but I'll talk you through it in the book and the simplified version of that diagram is the star of David, which even today is the primary symbol of jew. It's on the flag of Israel for crying out loud so All right why is this why is this so important? Somebody sometime had a UFO encounter has, it lasted for thousands of years and has integrated itself right into the very heartbeat of the nation of Israel and the culture of Judaism. It's quite fascinating. So there's definitely something here.
1: And Okay.
2: What next? What do you got next?
1: Okay, well, uh, you're talking about all the canonical uh, books or what you're focusing on, and theme that runs throughout uh, both uh, Testaments or books of the Bible uh, is this... uh, telepathic communication, you know, we kinda of touched on it with the burning bush uh yeah. seeing the Emerald Man from uh the book of Daniel, uh it, right. you know, it, and in the New Testament you get uh, uh when Saul was converted, it, there's kind of like this uh beam of light just comes down from nowhere. And it's yeah, you know, I it just said it's the voice of Yahweh telling him uh you know, uh, you know you'll be blind for three days yeah. and you know you need to stop doing yeah. uh this persecution stuff. So yeah, you know, we get all these different types of disembodied human voices it's uh, throughout um both books.
2: And um, it's it's super important to realize that this is a critical key factor and a component in in Christianity through to through today, um, and part of the theology is that we can pray uh, and God will hear us, and we don't even have to pray out loud. We can think words, and God will know what we're thinking. Okay, and also uh, by on this, the other direction is also true. Where, and maybe this is a little bit more trickier because many people, uh, most people haven't really had a lot of success with it, but theoretically, uh, God can also reveal truth to you through just through mental communication. Um, personally, I think that I've experienced that many times, um, and but it's it's very interesting that we we are admonished to pray all like i think um I think it would be pretty accurate to say that um a traditional Christian is encouraged to play to pray daily uh so essentially it's it's this very interesting concept that um We won't use the word telepathy, and and if you bring it up, we we might get offended or freaked out or think it's of the devil or something, but it's baked into the orthodoxy of of the Christian church and the theology in that God is able to do this. This is one of the things that that is possible and that God um, can do, does do, and wants us to do. Um, so I think if you, to overlook that and to say, well, yeah, there's no evidence for telepathy. Well, if there's no evidence for telepathy, why are we being encouraged to use telepathy daily? Um, clearly there's evidence for it. And so many of the stories in the Bible, even with a, with a very traditional reading, um, are, are absolutely 100%. Um, exactly the same as telepathy. They just don't use that word. Um, But you have every one of the prophets. um, So you've got, again, you've got Ezekiel, Isaiah, Daniel. Now, these three guys have um, very explicit UFO encounters, uh, but that's not recognized. Uh, But it is recognized that God has spoken to them. Um, Not only that, were to read the words that they uh, wrote down and were to take them as absolute truth. So there's a lot of weight being put into this telepathy. Um, And it's not just just those three guys. Um, King David, King Solomon, um, every other prophet. So there's uh, probably a dozen other guys um, who, who fall under the the sort of the umbrella of the prof the prophets um amos obadiah guys like that and um and uh all of them are get being given messages to uh generally to give to their 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 countrymen um oftentimes the messages are directly uh to the king or the leader at the time and um very strangely many of these messages are very political in nature and are essentially recommending um tactics to use in the next battle uh, that it's not uncommon for that to be one of the one of the topics of the prophetic message so um you got to wonder well, like why if if God is like in some other dimension somewhere um why is he telling us how to fight our neighbor like it does it's weird um but the fact that all of these things seem to be um what we're supposed to believe are true um it it does parallel some of the other things that that are more explicit but are not no longer accepted to be canonical such as the book of Enoch and the reason I bring that up is that in the book of Enoch there is a a group of well um, I I was going to say a group of Elohim and it may or may not be but um, let let's just go with that for now and and with the assumption that that might not be technically true. Uh, But there's a, another group that's, that seem to be similar um, and they are called the watchers. And these Uh are typically understood as being an angelic presence and kind of where we get the idea of the um, the guardian angel motif. And these watchers are seemingly, they, they seem to be orbiting earth. And uh, and basically um, monitoring all of our um, communications and even our it would seem even our personal private thoughts, uh, because this would be the same way that we are able to pray, Um, especially when you consider the Catholic stance on prayer, uh, where you uh they uh they make allowances for not only for praying to god who is the the supreme creator of the universe and you know would make sense to have such powers uh but in catholicism you're we are also able to pray to um mary the mother of jesus we are the other saints yeah all the saints so how is it that saints are able to hear our prayers Uh, telepathically, even without our voicing them. Um, And keep in mind, what are saints? Saints are made by the Pope after a person dies. So you could be a saint. Mark, you just have to kiss ass in a really good way and be a very good Catholic. They might call you a saint one day. Um, That's really all it is. And uh, yep. so how, how is it that now that it's baked into the theology that a person who was just an ordinary person, but really nice, um, they're able to, they're somehow floating around up in space or, or somewhere, um, and they can read our minds. That's really weird. Um, and so keep that in mind when we're talking about flying crafts, uh, and flying physical objects that are made out of metal—that is way less weird than the, telep- the telepathy stuff that is already uh, <laughs> part of the Orthodox Christianity. There's
1: nothing yeah, that I'll, weird
2: about metal flying around. I mean, we know that that's possible. We fly metal things around all the time.
1: Airplanes. Yeah. Yeah. I'll. I'll. I'll, I'll be. I'll. I'll become a saint, Uh, you know, around 3797 when Nostradamus predicted the world end. So, that's right. Not, yeah, not too many people will know about that one, but um, since we've looked at so many characters who have had these abductions or close encounters, uh, sightings. Um, do you find that you know with uh, Michael Carter's uh, initiation book and all the different stages of um, response after the experience that what Michael said is pretty similar to uh some of these characters, like Moses, who you know we have a good bit of his biography uh it seems like he was predestined for some kind of uh greatness and it seemed like he was always uh divinely protected you know we get the same thing with uh uh Jesus and the you know star of Bethlehem you know Michael spoke a, uh, or wrote a little bit about um uh after the experience, a lot of these people uh want to uh stop reading uh you know my mad magazine and you know they start reading a lot more uh spiritually oriented books or you know, they go out and uh want to change the world for the better you know they become more uh uh, have more of a spiritual mission in life after the event. Uh, obviously, Moses would be like that.
2: Yeah, uh, I, I think so. It, it, um, yeah. do, do you uh, see? I like mean, he, it's that's definitely a, the case the, with with Ezekiel, for example. So the first thing we okay. hear from from Ezekiel, he's just like he, we don't know anything about the man. Um, until suddenly he tells us about this crazy UFO that he just saw and and it gives him a message from then on he then continues to to be an experiencer and he continues to get met these telepathic messages which he continues to write down and to deliver and it actually um, in the in the case of ezekiel uh, it propels him into uh, a public life a ministry where he He's told to to tell his countrymen uh, about their you know some certain political thing aspects about their current uh, situation in captivity in Babylon, Uh, but he's also told to bring a message to the king. Now I I might be uh, I I don't remember the exact um, details about his message. I was trying to focus on the um, the 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 means rather than the motivation for these uh, messages. Um, but in any case, um, yeah, like he came out of nowhere and chapter one of Ezekiel. Hey, uh, I was standing there. This, he gives the time and date. Okay. Which I think is really interesting. He says, and the place, he says, here I was, it was the third year of so-and-so the King, and it was uh, the 5th month of the 3rd third, uh, third day of the whatever he gives date and and month and year and i was standing beside the this this particular river so it's very much a historical this happened to me at a certain day at a certain time and i have to tell you guys about this it's crazy and and it really is like if you read uh Ezekiel 1 it's crazy like, his stuff doesn't start to oh, make sense until, well, really, it never, it never makes any sense unless you read my book. Um, but, but, but so it's like a, a weird thing plug. happened to this guy. Exactly. So a weird thing happened to this guy, and it utterly changed his life. Um, I think absolutely that's totally true of Moses. Uh, before the burning bush, Moses was um, happily tending sheep in the back of the desert. Um, however, I do want to plug another very fascinating, um, possibility that I'm not saying is right or is true, but I'm pretty convinced. And there's this book by Jonathan Perrin called Moses Restored, where he makes the case. Um, and he's not the first person to say this, but he is the person who's saying it with, with so much detail and, um, an evidence that you can actually uh, really ask yourself whether this could possibly be true is this book, Moses Restored. And he, Jonathan Perrin is is basically saying, it looks a lot like Moses might have been um, the Egyptian Pharaoh, Akhenaten, who was Uh in power for about a year and then, turfed out of the country. Uh, so there's this huge chunk of Moses' story that's missing, right? We we know a little bit about his childhood where he was, um, it's said that he uh, was hidden in a basket in the Nile River and adopted into uh-huh. the Pharaoh's house and grew up as a prince in the Pharaoh's house. Well, what does that mean? If he grew up in the house of Pharaoh, um, the house... Okay, Pharaoh was the top of the pile, the richest man on earth, the most powerful man on earth. Um, and he had access to the best education uh, and the best, that any, the best that money can buy in, in all senses. And he was definitely well-educated as an Egyptian magician, um, which I talk about in my other book, Magic in the Bible, And uh, and so then suddenly he knows all this stuff and is like literally Moses would have been like one of the the smartest men in the world because he had he was among a very small handful of people who were educated in that court, in the the court of Pharaoh. So I don't know how many people they pushed through through there a year, but it was um, maybe a couple hundred, not not like the millions of of university graduates that we're pumping out every year. Now, um, he was one of the very, very elite, um, top trained and very powerful people on earth. Suddenly he disappears. Uh, so to me and Jonathan gives tons of other evidence. Um, I highly recommend that book Moses restored. Um, but anyway, um, what was what was the question again? <laughs>
1: um, I,
2: I oh so, yeah, uh, so uh, yeah, for sure it well, was life changing.
1: Yeah, it, and you know, the it, same
2: is true. I mean, you know, M- Michael. We've both talked to Michael Carter, and he he tells us about um, extraterrestrials showing up in his bedroom while he's sleeping, which is uh, to me is like mind blowing, right? Um, but and it is, and it was mind blowing to him, and it took him years to process that uh, before he could even tell anybody about it, and kind of start to come to grips with um, how does that fit into our, to his philosophy, uh, because how do you reconcile when you find out uh, one of these truths that seem so completely impossible? Um, And they may contradict with everything that you thought you knew. And what, what I'm coming to believe is that everything that we think we know is not necessarily wrong, because wrong implies just plain wrong. I don't believe that. But I do think that everything that we think we know is mostly wrong. Uh, because it's so incomplete. And so in terms of integrating these new mind-blowing concepts that that might actually be true, um, we need to really learn a new skill set of, uh, f- of kind of mental malleability and, I believe, sort of gripping things loosely and going, okay, well, I don't need to throw away everything I thought I knew, but... Uh, it's certainly not like we have to look at everything in a different light, I guess. So absolutely all of these things are, are world changing.
1: Well, it, um, you know, I think Michael's experience uh, does not seem all that different from uh, Moses's or uh, Barney Hill. Exactly. Barney yeah, Hill yeah, they and, all... and
2: millions of others, uh, and there's so many people who are telling the same story, and they're beginning to now um, feel a little bit more comfortable. And we now have people, and thanks to you know podcasters like yourself, uh, who are really opening the door and and saying, "Hey, look, uh, we want to hear your story, and we believe you." Um, and or not even necessarily we believe you, but we want to hear your story, and we're a not going to make fun of you, uh, b not going to um, you know beat you up on the school playground afterwards, or, or do any other weird bullying nonsense that's been the case um, for the last uh, well who knows how long, but it's been going on for a long time, um, and that might be one of the reasons why the Bible that we have right now is in such a honestly it's a real mess uh in terms of the translation maybe it's just because um it got bullied into being that way you know what i mean like you can't say that stuff okay well, well let's uh what if we change this word yeah okay that seems reasonable <laughs> like i don't know what what's going on but that it's either that or something worse um where there's where now you have, you might might require some kind of conspiracy theory to explain how the truth is being suppressed. Is it actively being suppressed or is it just because it's too weird and nobody knows what to do with it? And so it's sort of kind of progressively got buried. You know, I don't know the answer to that. I do know that there's definitely some suppression. Um, I mean, that's, that's clear in in the um, in just the history of the Bible that nobody's trying to hide. We all know that there was there were various councils with you know censors and people with big black uh, black markers and fire pits to ready to burn certain sections of what was of uh, not going to be allowed in. Ken,
1: yeah, uh, 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 yeah. I was just gonna say you, you, you know that from uh, your. You know regular talks with uh, Jim Willis. Uh, he's he, he has a terrific mm-hmm. book on. You know yeah, um, his
2: book "Censoring God" is um, is great, yeah, yeah, that, and it talks a lot about that.
1: And and he's you know very knowledgeable about, the, you know, that whole uh, topic and so many uh, other aspects of, um, you know, prehistory going back to Göbekli Tepe. Yeah. So sure. you know, you're yeah, you're getting all that uh, from you know regular conversations with him. he you know he uh he and Michael are some some of the best uh make the most convincing cases on you know the lecture circuits uh now.
2: I agree completely and uh so uh, as another plug for my YouTube channel um, we have a series of, uh, several videos on there where, um, Michael J.S. Carter and, uh, Jim Willis sit down with me and we just talk about some of these very interesting ideas. Um, and the Elohim is, is one of the things we talked about. And, um, geez, I don't even remember, but there's, there's a, a bunch, several uh, videos on there, uh, fascinating conversations. Um, and I do hope to uh, have more of those conversations with those two guys. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it is, it's quite remarkable, uh, really when you think that we've come, um, we've, I was going to say we've come all this far, but I don't know how far we've come, uh, but it is interesting that as the years go by, um, we're we're allowed to talk about different things, or we're not allowed to talk about different things, and and there's all of these different uh, powers that affect and shape the culture that we find ourselves in, and this has been happening um, for thousands of years, maybe for millions of years. We don't know really how long humans have been have been wrestling with these concepts and been been talking about this stuff. We know for sure it's, um, I think, the most conservative ef- estimates uh, in terms of mo- when when did humans become modern is like 70,000 years, I think. Is that right? Um, it's a long me. time. It's a long time. And now we know that um, the, the Neanderthals did not go extinct. Um, the Den- Denisovans did not go extinct. We are them. Their DNA is in us. So it blows up this whole concept of even what is a species, um, and we really have to rethink what is a human. Like, Never mind the philosophical what does it mean to be a human. I'm talking about biologically speaking, we cannot define a human the way that we used to define it. Uh, Because it used to be, as we were taught in school, we are Homo sapiens. There were these other human, other hominids uh, that were not us. And that we, some of them we may have descended from or evolved from. Well, that whole narrative is now becoming um, understood in a very different way as we're now seeing that it, uh, like between fifty thousand and even up to as late as twenty thousand years ago, there were these other people who we wouldn't recognize as human. Um, at least we wouldn't have ten years ago, uh, and and yet they were our mothers and fathers and aunties and uncles, uh, like literally, not not in a not in a. Um not in a metaphorical sense, but they were literally uh these two people groups would come and would interbreed, and we are them, so this really brings you back to the concept of the Nephilim again uh again, Genesis chapter six when the when the story is told about human the human people, which again, it doesn't use the word human. Uh, But it it ties it to Adam. So it's the descendants of Adam, which if you want to just take the biblical story of Adam and Eve literally, that's fine. But you don't have to. Uh, Essentially, what we're saying is at some point there was there was a group of people that were somehow you know um uh, genetically i don't want to say genetically pure even though there's a lot of biblical, biblical reason i could say that um but there's there were these basically there were different um genetic branches and um and some of them appear to have come from from outer space
0: um,
2: so yeah what is a human Wait. well
1: well, you know, uh, Jim, you know with, with Jim's study in preparation for his uh, uh, job uh, of being a, uh, a tour leader to Göbekli Tepe, it, you know, he he would be, be aware of the uh, Denise events and uh, you know, so, so like this. The earliest man-made structures is so unlike anything else. Uh, you know, Stonehenge is still thousand years in the future.
2: Yeah. Now, okay. So yeah. I'm so, I'm going so to pick a bone with you here because <laughs> okay. you, you just triggered me. So this is a, this is something that I find fascinating. Uh, yeah, uh, please is... don't have
1: a meltdown. Well, we, we had a, <laughs> no. we, we had one guest do that, was, when I triggered her, but that was...
2: it won't be that bad, trust me. Okay. Um But uh, I just want to say that um, uh, I hear people who are interested in uh, in this these kind of topics, um, and I'm in, I'm lumping. Graham Hancock is actually the worst offender, and I blame him for making this a popular thing to say uh, because he said the oldest civilization. And he's referring to Gobekli Tepe as, okay, well, we used to think Sumerian was the oldest, or Sumer was the oldest. Well, now we know that Gobekli Tepe was earlier. So now that's the oldest. No, it's not the oldest. It's the oldest one that we've dug up. But is it even that? No, it isn't even that because there's now keep in mind, some of these claims are being hotly refuted. That doesn't mean they're wrong. It doesn't mean they're right either, but it doesn't mean they're wrong. Um, But we have uh, we have a lot of um, evidence from all around the world. That um, that goes back farther, and in many, in some cases, much farther back in time uh, than uh, Göbekli Tepe. Um, so, for example, uh, the, the the Chinese um, I'll say mythology, but I don't like I don't like some of the things that that implies. Uh, but the Chinese stories include um, eighteen thousand years uh sorry, actually, several different um several eras that are eighteen thousand years each uh back to back, so that's at least um we're coming up on almost forty thousand years, and that's sort that's sort of their the story that they're telling their history, if you like now you have to be careful because there there's the words history and mythology are sort of misleading because, you know, we think that, oh, histor- history is true and mythology is false. No, it's, eh, that's, it's not that black and white.
1: There's a little bit of an overlap. Um,
2: there's definitely an overlap. So so we've got the Chinese saying, um, you know, 40,000. We've got the uh, – there's some evidence in the Egyptian uh, culture for this, um, this concept of Zeptepe, which is um, like the olden times kind of thing. I'm just trying to see if I can like, find this. Yeah.
1: yeah, was that like so the first the, age or something?
2: Yeah, basically or, or they're, they're kind of the first age thing, and um, and and theirs is again a, about um, again actually almost forty thousand years ago. It's uh, my calculation here is. Um, that Zeptepi would have started at through thirty nine thousand nine hundred and twenty years ago. Um so okay, that's, that's about
1: contemporary with the Chinese.
2: Yeah, timeline. exactly. Um so now let's look at uh, Sumer. So in Sumer the now Sumer we know is a is a real thing and we gave them credit for being the oldest um, up until we found uh Go Back Lake Tepe. And so, you know, if anybody has credit uh and we should believe them, it's the Sumerians. And if we look at the Sumerian calendar, not their mythology, but their uh historical calendar of the Sumerian history, it goes it goes back um 220,000 years. Uh, wow. that's well, that's actually farther than that because we don't know where that ended um uh, but there's a period of two hundred and twenty thousand years that is chronicled in the Sumerian king list and uh and that is up until a, a certain point that that ended with some flood. We don't know if it's the same flood that they talk about in the Bible or not, um or maybe it's the flood that uh that is um basically uh kind of tied to uh go back like tepe with the whole younger dryass and all that stuff, uh where there was definitely massive flooding going on at the end of the so called end of the ice age. Keep in mind we're actually still in that ice age. So the end of the ice age is in the future. Uh but there was a there was a point where there was a lot of a lot of uh, very quick melting and the ice caps um uh the glaciation melted uh, fairly quickly um over a period of a couple hundred years uh, resulting in the ocean levels rising up at least 400 feet and so the sumerians are saying before the flood which again might be might be 20,000 years ago if we're looking at the um if we're looking at the younger dryas uh so then they're saying now go back another 220,000 years so if if that was that's back possibly 240,000 years it's a long time mm-hmm. um yeah. and uh, again the um the Mayan calendar uh also has uh, has similar similar stuff going on where it's like just uh, this huge Like, mind-blowingly long periods of time, Um, and yet they're they're somewhat documented. Now, it's not like we have a ton of documentation, but there's some.
1: Well, you also have the uh, extreme old age of many of the biblical characters, too, and that that does kind of fit in with – you know, you know, like the That's right. Mayan or Chinese uh, dating, uh, you know, were they using like the same, was there a global way of dating things at certain times that is much different than the the yeah. way we or, or did I they really live, you know, most, uh, Enoch lived to be, you know, 900 years. Uh, he he was very old, too.
2: Yeah. So a lot of people have proposed that um, many of these um, ancient dating systems are are getting mixed up between months and years. Um, I don't buy it for two reasons. OK, let's say let's just say that they're correct. OK, so when they say years, they really mean months. OK, that's fine. If that was true, how old was Enoch then? Nine hundred divided by twelve is. Um, I, don't I don't know. Uh, nine, we don't. 90?
1: It's our policy. We don't do math on Nightlight.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's right. But it's about ninety. Okay, I I believe that. That's reasonable. Okay. Um, now, so what about um, some of these old, plus some like, of these other old guys? They were a hundred like, when they had their first child. Okay, divide that by 12. Now, that means that this kid was 8 years old when he had his first That doesn't make sense. That doesn't work. So that's the first reason where this whole uh, months, not years thing is is crap. It just doesn't work. The second reason is these people are um, either hunter-gatherers or agriculturalists. The year... Is vitally important to their survival, and they know damn well uh, how the year is progressing. It's not. It's not like now where it's like, oh, happy new year. Okay, tomorrow's another day. It to to them it's life and death. They need to know what what season it is, uh, when it's when time to plant, plant when it's yep. time to hunt this uh, this type of animal. This it's time to go over here. In fact um in the hunter gatherer societies and I, I say this because I literally know people whose fathers were were hunter gatherers um in the north no, northern parts of British Columbia um and it's 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 a way of life that's dying off but is actually not that far removed from from what we think and uh they would literally they were nomadic essentially um not that they didn't have a place to live but that they had multiple places to live and it was always dependent on what time of year it was because it was uh salmon season or berry season or uh-huh. hooligan season or grouse season and you would go where the where the hunting took took you and the that those hunting conditions are only correct uh at a certain time of the year so it makes no sense whatsoever to say, to say that the ancient people um, thought that moons were more important than the than
1: the solar year. No. Nope. Yeah, you, know, you know, I was just going to say, yeah, you know, if you ask someone like, you know, how, how far is it to drive to uh, Los Angeles, and I uh, say, uh, like. Eighty-five million uh, inches. Mm -hmm. Uh, 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 Why don't you break it down as something like mile? uh, Some a little bit more reasonable standard unit of measurements. So it's like three thousand mile drive. Uh, I can understand that.
2: Yeah. Well, I know that Disneyland is a three-day trip because I've done it several times.
1: So (laughs) that's how you do it. Right,
2: it's like it's
1: how many? It how long does there. it take to
2: get here? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's um. Uh, it, it's the uh, the uh concept of age in um you know mainly the Old Testament. It is actually a pretty interesting topic. You know uh you know someone has their first child at the age of 80 or something like that uh, Yeah, it it really does make you think and it, other you know your information uh, you know uh, you know, so, so many things we uh didn't get to you know different passages um uh, um uh, you know we, we we could you know come back and do more about the watchers later uh you know the 10 commandments and you know, building some of the uh buildings um you know, uh, you know, during uh all of Jesus's life uh you get all these supernatural things going on you know with uh the angel Gabriel ar- uh, arriving um, you yeah, know, yeah. he's baptized, you, you get this, like, all this stuff descending down towards um, the River Jordan or the earthquake and stuff, but you can yeah. also cover... There's a
2: lot of weird stuff around Jesus, um, we should probably do a show just about, uh, just about focusing on Jesus' stuff, and um, uh, we should yeah, probably yeah, uh, do a show about the... Um, what was the other thing that I said we wanted to talk
1: about uh, 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 Moses and uh, you know we, we still have like eight six, seven minutes or so if you uh, uh, yeah that sure. that's hit, a really interesting topic too yeah um, okay give me give me
2: one more question Mark we got nine
1: okay. minutes okay um okay with uh, you know just. just it, yeah we'll just give you a uh, plug for you know your moses book it, so you have um moses you know, growing up with the e you know learning the egyptian uh you know, um magic stuff along with you know some of the pharaoh's uh magicians and they have the uh, you know, battle about you know which one has the uh you know more powerful uh you know basically boils down to god uh so, yeah. so you know, what does the magic show between the you know, basically the two different religions r- reveal a time I- in egyptian history
2: yeah Um, Okay, so I'm going to answer that question, but I'm also going to talk about Daniel, uh, because we did mention that Moses was like one of the most highly trained men uh, of his day. Um, The same can be said about Daniel. So Daniel is another uh, Old Testament prophet. Um, He lived in during the time of the Babylonian exile. So the the Israelites were had been uh, plundered and pillaged and, and many of them had been uh, kidnapped essentially and taken to live in Babylon uh, under King Nebuchadnezzar and, um, and several other kings. Daniel actually worked for a, a series of, uh, I believe it was five different kings, um, and they, they all liked him and were very impressed by, by his work, and so uh, the next king would come along and, and would keep him around um which i'm sure you've you've been through um uh you know several changes of government in terms of uh the switching between republicans and democrats and do they right. keep the same people around not usually but if there's somebody no. really great they they might and uh right. daniel was one of those really great ones and so he um by the end of his career uh, well, even halfway into his career, he was um, his official title was Chief Magician of Babylon. So um, and and Moses was in a similar position, although possibly not um, officially, uh, unless, of course, if you uh, read Jonathan Perrin's book, you may have a different idea. Um, but whether that's the case or not, it doesn't matter. Both of these men were very highly uh, trained magicians and very powerful uh, people in in their land. So, um, what I so there's this concept in Christianity that uh, magic is bad or magic is evil, um, or you know something to that effect. And basically, what where that comes from is um, several verses that come from Moses. Of all people, where Moses basically says, um, "You are not allowed." So this is during Moses giving the laws, and he says, "You're not allowed to uh, to consult mediums or sorcerers or or any any of these types of things." However, the these um, that those verses, when we read those verses, we take we're taking them out of the context. Um, in which Moses actually is saying, I am the prophet of the land. You need to come to me n- now. Don't go consult these other sorcerers. So what he's really saying is don't go consulting other sorcerers. Come to me. I'm your sorcerer. And so I explore that quite good detail in my other book, Magic in the Bible. Um and but it's even stranger with with Daniel because that's that's not really the case. Uh, at least with Moses, we had Yahweh come and basically uh, um, essentially put Moses in charge. Um, but that didn't happen with Daniel unless uh, you interpret the the story of Daniel the way that I talk about in UFOs in the Bible, because here we have um, a messenger whose name is Gabriel and he is green and he uh, might be a reptilian. And he says, he comes down in a spaceship and he, he says to Daniel, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed. And then he starts talking to him. So it's a really weird story. Uh, Basically, if somebody is up there orbiting, and they've been watching what's been going on on Earth, and they know who the major players are, so Daniel's one of the people that they choose to come talk to. So, uh-huh. yeah, it just gets weirder and weirder the more you dig.
1: Well, so the, the Emerald Man really isn't all that different from Krishna you know, That's right. further to the east, who is blue.
2: That's right. And also, many of the Egyptian gods um, are Asar, depicted or, with green or blue skin. There's at know, least, uh, I think, six or seven of them that are that are often blue. Yeah,
1: you know, it, it's, you know, you know we're uh, you know, down about a couple minutes, unfortunately. Uh, it, you know, I think we're going to have to pick this up on another show. I, it, it's, I think you gave the listeners a you know a great show something to think about um uh, re- you know some new insights into um ancient history and you know, I, I i think a lot of our listeners really tune into that uh you know sh- shows like this because they really want to learn and um i think it's, it's just a really uh insightful and fun talk tonight you know we'll have to do this again so uh can, can, can you give us uh your website again and you know we're kind of almost out of time by by time to get yeah, finished. anything sure. else you want to plug
2: for sure um yeah well thanks again for having me on and uh like i said you know it's really all just about asking questions and uh and don't being afraid to look under those rocks so um my website again is Dimensionfold.com. Uh you'll see some information about my my three nonfiction books, Magic in the Bible, UFOs in the Bible, and the Enuma Elish, the original text with brief commentary, which is based on these the Sumerian mythology. I'm using my air quotes here. Um and I've also actually got a couple of novels if you like dark comedy uh that involves um crime and death and uh, other other hilarious things Uh, you can check those out on there as well
1: okay well i think we'll have to uh continue this another time hopefully soon um i'll i'll see everyone in in a couple weeks and you know ken Ken we'll be in touch and thanks barbara for uh producing the show and uh have a great week everyone